You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, Guild 9 Gaming Podcast, covering board games to war games and beyond. Welcome back, everybody, to Tabletop and Beyond. I am your host, Justin, and I'm here with my main man, Jason. How's it going, guys? Uh, we've got a special program for you today. Today, we want to talk about Warhammer and the ITC. And to do that, we've brought on two special guests that we met last week. Well, one of them we knew uh, for a while, and the other one we met at the Las Vegas Open, but re-met them again last week on their own podcast, The Wide World of Wargaming, uh, found in all of the pretty much podcast places that you can find them. Um, but we've got our two special guests on with us today. We've got John and Garrett. John and Garrett, why don't you introduce yourselves? Hey, how's it going, guys? Hey, Garrett, why don't you go first, buddy? Uh, hey, uh, I'm Garrett. As I'm a good friend of Justin and Jason. I live out here in the Northern Virginia area with them. Uh, so I am one of the hosts of the Wide World of Wargaming podcast. I do a lot of Age of Sigmar and Age of Sigmar stuff. Uh, and uh, I handle a lot of the stuff with the Best Coast pairings that help run tournaments and stuff like that. So, yeah, that, that, that's the short and simple me, I guess. Garrett, now just to interject real quick, John, before you go, uh, Garrett was the one that really got myself and Jason into competitive wargaming. So mm-hmm. the reason why all of you audience members are hearing us blabber on about our lists and tournaments, you can all blame Garrett for it. <laughs> yeah, Garrett was my first 2K, uh, 2K uh, game match. I have no shame in bringing you guys into the competitive scene. <laughs> well done, well done. <laughs> All right, John, John, what what about about yourself? Okay, sure. Uh, So my name is uh, John, John Feuerhelm, also of the Wide World of Wargaming. Uh, We've been doing our podcast uh, actually in our second year of doing it, so having a lot of fun over there. Uh, What can I say? Uh, I love to play Warhammer-type games. I do play a little bit of whatever games, uh, like most of us do, I think, uh, most geek enjoyers, as it were. Uh, But really, I focus on playing Age of Sigmar and 40K and uh, I myself, just right when I got into those games, discovered that I super loved competitive type gaming. Uh, and so that's how Garrett and I met is through tournaments and all that good stuff. Uh, I also run uh, something called Firehead Productions. Uh, basically, I use that to run tournaments and what have you. I, uh, for example, was the uh, going to be running the uh, Bay Area Open, a major uh, ITC tournament uh just uh gosh i think that would have happened what in like two weeks or something like that next weekend uh I yeah know it's coming Memor- up. memorial day weekend over uh at kubla Con- yeah kubla Con in near san francisco yeah which is also canceled and so that's about what i'm into uh also love to do some gardening out there kind of known for some of my hot peppers and uh also enjoy uh fine whiskeys and so some folks kind of know me for my talks on whiskey and such so that's that's me in a nutshell you know, it's John, funny. You bring up Kublicon. We, uh, want our co-host who's not with us today, Dan, um, he actually has uh, attended Kublicon and hosted some RPG sessions out there. His brother lives out in that area and has gone to Kublicon every year since it started, I think. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, it's it's a, an amazing convention. Hopefully it starts up again next year. Yeah. Very much known for um, RPG as well as – like there's an entire floor in this amazing hotel dedicated to RPG uh, gaming uh, right on up to um, – they've had dedicated LARP areas and that stuff uh, as well as rooms. But then 
also it's very well known for sort of custom one-off um, miniatures games, you know, kind of the kind where you walk up to the mm-hmm. table and and here's a, a couple dudes and now you're playing Jurassic Park, you know, stuff like that. So oh, very a, cool. A pretty amazing convention. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's the kind of convention that if you have somebody who's kind of geek curious, you take them to KublaCon and they will come out of there in super geek mode. So it's a pretty amazing con. Cool. Uh, unfortunately, not happening this year. So we get to a whole nother year to get excited about it. Right. So, John, I actually had a question for you. We've talked several times on our on our podcast over the last few weeks about um, having to cancel conventions, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, I know that Jason and Dan, they're signed up to go to Gen Con this year. Um, I was looking at going to Origins that uh, was in Ohio, and that's not happening. And so, um, yeah, I guess my question to you is um, – how has that process been as a as a event organizer, um, yeah. having to go through all of that? Yeah, so I'm I'm actually uh, scheduled to 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 four GTs between now and the end of the year. Uh, as of this moment, two are canceled and two are date to be redetermined. <laughs> wow. So um, the hardest part for me is is trying to just keep people excited. And yeah. kind of engaging people, you know, because yeah, as you can imagine, you get a lot of private messages. Hey, what's going on with this? What's going on with that? Yeah. And w- the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. but, but but people are looking to you for some guidance. And so you try to give them something. Well, hey, here's what we, what I see. Here's what we're looking at. Here's what I think. But, but at the end of the story, it's been, it's been difficult. I have um, all kinds of credits with airlines right now. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I have random prize support sitting around uh, waiting for an event to go to. It's, there's just weird little things. Now, your events, were they, were they supposed to be at, like, gaming stores? Were they supposed to be at, like, convention halls? Like... Right. Uh, luckily for me, um, I have not been the lead of a guy or lead – as far as actually uh, procuring a hall and what have you, I'm yeah. more invited to run events within larger gotcha. conventions. So I've been spared that. I have been very closely associated with the Game Castle out here in the Bay Area. Yeah. And, uh, of course, uh, that's just a, a – I mean, they ran a 180-person uh, Warhammer tournament inside wow. of their store. So wow. when I say local game store, we're talking some pretty pretty large scale inside that's of That's a store. legit Game Castle. That is the legit game <laughs> castle, and so of course uh, there's there's a, been a big big impact for that. But with that, it's just uh, Seth and the guys over there, the the owners and management are really cool, real open communication, and it's just all, hey John, uh, when we all can get together again, we're looking forward to having you run events for us, and that's about all there is. Dude, so the game castle. So I've actually been to that store twice. Uh, oh yeah, in my life. Yeah, when I used to work, uh, do a little bit of work that would take me over there to that side of the country. And whenever I get, whenever I go places, um, if I'm not with coworkers, I usually just always look up a game store and try to find a local game store just to go walk around and see the community. And twice I've been into that place, and I love the the Game Castle uh, store that I've gone to. I don't know if it's the same building. It's been you know maybe well, five, six, have, seven years. But there's five Game Castles now. Are there's there? One, wow. Yeah, yeah there's there one go. in Sacramento, one in Austin, Texas. There's the Santa Clara one, which is I'm guessing the one you went to. Yep. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's the Fremont one, and then John, the big one that John was referring to is the Mountain View one, which uh, I guess is not actually, actually the, that old. The Mountain yeah. View. Oh, okay. Because when I was out there, I used to go to Mountain View a lot to do work. Um, but I think I would have to drive a bit to get to the Game Castle. So maybe it was yeah. a Santa Clara one. The, the Mountain View one, I think, is only like 
five or six years old at most. Uh, yeah, probably would have been new. that one. But it yeah. was a pretty cool store, even even you know back then walking around. And that was before I that was when I was more into RPGs and board games at the time. Nice. Still, it was pretty cool. Yeah, if you remember that one in Santa Clara, that's you know from a for a game store, it's still pretty large. There's basically a large. Uh, mm-hmm. retail area and then a second bay that's air conditioned for playing yeah. like RPGs and all of that stuff and then a big warehouse uh, with racks of terrain and stuff for playing uh, Warhammer and uh, and other games like that. Very cool. That's very awesome. Very cool. Um, okay, well, let's get into our first segment, which is our Geek Week. Uh, I'm going to ask Jason, why don't you kick us off on your Geek Week? Okay, man. Yeah, so this uh, week... Uh, this weekend, actually, I did a lot of painting, but uh, unfortunately not the mini type. I, For Mother's Day, I gave my wife the gift of helping her paint the downstairs basement. <laughs> so that was, and I, here's the thing. This was a great gift because I loathe painting houses. I mean, my wife knows I hate it, absolutely hate it, but I, di- I did this for her and I love her. And it was a great, uh, great bonding experience, we'll say that. But uh, after that, I was just like, dude, I got to get some gaming on. So I sat down and opened up uh, a game I haven't played in a while, which was Endless Space 2. Oh, my God. I love that game. Yeah, it's an amazing game. It's a great 4X game. Uh, I I opened that thing, and I just remembered why that thing was such a game suck or a time suck, man. I love it. It's so awesome. If you're really into kind of man. I think it's one of my favorite 4X games ever. Um, Like, Playing, I've played a lot of Civilization, and I think yeah. Endless Space 2 just takes all of the really good things you want out of Civilization, and then just all the things you hate about Civilization, it does the opposite. <laughs> no, for sure. I, I yeah. played that game a lot when it first came out. Uh, didn't they just come out with some new DLC or something on that one? There is some <sighs> recent DLC on it, yeah. Oh, um, really? I played uh, Endless Space 1 a lot, too, an enormous amount. Um and so when Endless Space 2 came out, here's the thing is I actually played, um, I had Endless Space 2, which I was like, I'm absolutely getting because I was a big fan. But then all my buddies were playing Stellaris. So I actually have both Stellaris and Endless Space 2. And I like both of them, but I always gravitate back to Endless Space 2. I feel like the I feel like the immersive quality of, of Endless Space is, is just a notch above Stellaris. In yeah, my opinion. I, I, I played Stellaris. I only got put maybe 20, 30 hours into it, and mm-hmm. I'm with you. It wasn't it wasn't enough to suck to really suck me in. It was, it was like okay, yeah. fun, but meh. I, I'm I'm sitting here and I have my Steam window open and I have 210 hours on Endless Space Two. <laughs> wow, that is a lot. Yeah, I think you you beat me on that one. But yeah, uh, I, I, I've done. There's only three games that have more hours than Endless Space Two on my machine. Um, Eve Online, uh, oh, Divinity Original Sin 2, and Mountain Blade Warband are the only Eve, three games. Eve Online, oh man, that's yeah. Um, you're another job away from. That's, <laughs> a, that's the type of game that will end your marriage. Yes. Yeah. That that was oh. I did I did all 244 hours of Eve Online in high school, so I haven't touched it since. <laughs> yeah. Fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh man, played a lot of Eve Online too. Good game for another time, but, but yeah, uh, I I've I've finished every single uh type of victory in endless space Two, except for wonder victory and science victory oh that's awesome because i haven't been able to get science victory done because i was building a science faction and i was almost done and then my wife got the economic victory and i was like god damn it <laughs> like i was feeding her so many technologies like yeah. oh here take all these technologies that i'm uh, getting and then she's like oh yeah i just want we and then our alliance won because we had so much money i was like damn it i was so close 
Yeah. <laughs> well, that explains a lot, though. If you have your wife playing this game with you, I mean, oh, that, yeah. that's a coup that right helps there. Out, I would say. Yeah, we, we, we love that game. I play Civ with her a bunch and Endless Space 2. She and I love to play 4X games together, and so we, we play that a ton. That's awesome. Last time I played a game with my a video game with my wife, uh, we were challenging each other on uh, Pinball FX's Star Wars games. <laughs> and nice. uh, it was a really bad choice of mine, but, you know, it was like, I got my wife to play a game with me. I'm like, pass the control. I'm like, look, this is fun. It's not competitive. We're just having a good time looking at bells and whistles. And then I started getting this really great run, like an amazing run. And I'm like, I really want to let you play, babe, but this is the best run I've ever had. Oh, no. And, no. and that was a big mistake because she's never played it with me since. The last game I played with my wife was Halo Reach. Oh, wow. And she asked me, like, what do you want to do tonight? And I'm like, I really want to play Halo with you because, you know, like, you should try it out. She tried it, and we had it on easy mode. And I said, okay, you just need to go forward and kill those guys. Just point and shoot. That's all you got to do, right? And I was standing behind her. She had her, like, auto rifle, you know, and it's just spraying and praying. I mean, it's like she's looking up and down and left and right and <laughs> and everywhere. And I'm standing behind her with the pistol going, pow, pow, pow. And Grump Birthdays is going off all over the place. And she's like, I'm killing them. <laughs> like, yes, you are. Yes, you are, babe. Keep it up. Keep it up. Just hold that trigger down. It, uh, it, that, that whole plan fell apart, though, when the elite showed up and I was, uh, oh, you yeah. know, assassinating them. And she's like, oh, I, I'm not killing them as good as I thought I was, was I? <laughs> yeah. Well, the last thing I did this week was uh, I actually made significant progress on my game table plans. I post, I, I, Posted uh, the plans in a dock, laid out the lumber, wrote up a bomb, and uh, right now my table is going to cost an estimated $160 in lumber and Ooh, probably 2,000 hours of labor, <laughs> labor <and laughs> trips to Home Depot back and forth. And anyways, it'll be fun. Sounds awesome. You guys, you guys aren't on our Discord um, for our gaming stuff, but you, I mean. Uh, Jason started up a gaming furniture channel in our Discord, and it's just been going great guns as uh, he's been soliciting feedback from the masses. And at one point, I'm like, careful with this feedback. You're going to end up, you know, designing a horse and getting a camel. Yep. You know? yeah. That's every feature imaginable. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my favorite My favorite one was the, uh, well, don't use legs. Just have hydraulic lift system that lowers it from the ceiling. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Okay. All right. That's something John would do. Yeah, well, I won't say that a, a, an idea of how to do that sparked through my head as you were saying those words. <laughs> right? Awesome. That's it for me. Awesome. Uh, John, what, what's, what was your Geek Week like? Sure, sure. Well, um, unfortunately, I've been uh, geeking out at home for the most part like everybody else. Uh, and I have been playing way too much Pathfinder Kingmaker. So that's uh, oh. uh, been kind of sucking up a little bit of my time. Uh, I also listen to some audiobooks. And I, I don't like to play RPGs while listening to audiobooks. So I was in the mood to listen to um, – I'm playing listening to this Spellmonger series. Uh, so I tried, decided to get back into that. So I started building some uh, Warhammer 40K models. I've been working on a Primaris army that I, I started a little bit before our shut-in. 
in, but now it's become my uh, COVID-19 army. So my goal is to actually have this army finished by the end of the month. And believe it or not, I am one kit away. So I, I built some walker wow. guys, and I have one Primaris Repulsor, which is like a, a transport vehicle, tank kind of vehicle. Uh, I have to build that. That's already been clipped from the sprue and I'm in the middle of cleaning up the uh, mold line so that's what's spread up all over my desk right now uh, I've, after I finish that it, I look up there it looks like I have 12 models to paint and I have a finished army so I have to the end of the month uh, to finish my COVID-19 army and other than that as I mentioned earlier I've been geeking out in the backyard uh, making sure my peppers are happy I released a bunch of uh, ladybugs lace wings um, uh, predatory wasps, all kinds of stuff like that to keep the bugs away. I released a bunch of bugs to get rid of bugs. So, so what you you're go. telling us is you released the murder hornets. The murder hornets. Oh, you yeah. did. Well, no, no. Now I don't know if you guys saw this, but there is a video on the internet of a praying mantis taking down a murder hornet. Oh, and yeah, I yeah. put, I put. 10 praying mantis uthicas around my garden. So I am well protected from murder hornets, I assure <laughs> <Yes>. you. <laughs> uh, real talk, though, we I'm just kind of at the um, the far northern end of where they find killer bees. So it is possible to actually like go hiking out into the hills around here and encounter killer bees. Uh, and so you, you, they're not killer when they come to your garden, but every time a big old fat bee comes in here, I'm like, you better not be a killer bee visiting here. Get the heck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and That's that awesome. is my geek week. <laughs> yeah, good stuff, man. That's really impressive with the army. I'm still trying to plug away on my orc army, so... Yeah, yeah, I figured it'll be a, like a point of pride. You know, like I, I was shut in for almost two months, and boom, I built an army. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. That's good. And painted, and painted. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, Garrett, what about you, my man? Well, I've been doing quite a bit, actually. So I just DM'd another one of my uh, my first uh, online session of D&D 5e. And so I've been doing a lot of prep on that, uh, looking at ways to really utilize Roll20 and getting in on all the Roll20 assets. And I just, and I realized, hmm, for $10 a month, I can have access to API scripting on Roll20. Well, wow. so now I have access to API scripting and macro building and character sheet building. And so I have a lot of uh, work to do. Um, <laughs> So, you just opened yeah. up Pandora's box, my friend. Ten dollars is—they <laughs> cost your soul. I mean, they—they they know their target audience. Computer science guys stuck inside all day. Yeah, yeah. they definitely have their target audience in mind. Um, and then also on top of that, I was decided to jump into another role-playing game. A buddy of mine—you guys will probably recognize this. He busted out Deadlands Classic. Hmm. Um, have you guys heard of that? I have, yes. Yeah, so we just played our first session today, actually. Um, so I've been nerding out like crazy with that for like the last week and a half. Uh, we decided last Friday, like a week from last Friday, uh, that we we're going to play. So I built my character. I started tweaking my character. I started reading all the books, reading over all the rules, comparing it to the Savage Worlds, um, the uh, yeah. Savage Worlds Explorer Edition. I then yep. downloaded the Savage Worlds Adventure Edition because I noticed they have a Kickstarter for the new Deadlands. And then there's Deadlands Reloaded. I'm starting compare. Yeah, I, uh, so I've been going into the whole... I've never heard of Savage Worlds before, and I've been going dive deep into this Savage Worlds land. I'm trying to understand this new RPG that I understand is actually very popular and well-liked. Um, so... Down the rabbit hole you go. Um... <laughs> 
so yes yes john i i do sleep uh <laughs> somehow uh then let's see here i have haven't really i've been playing actually i don't think i've been playing a lot of video games as i've been doing all my rpging uh again balls deep in that what's, and, what's your favorite rpg system i mean i started off in 3.5 Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have a soft spot for Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And Dear Pathfinder. To your heart. So, um, but I, I'm just trying this new Deadlands. I never really liked, like I tried the White Wolf system like once and I just mm-hmm. didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm a math guy. And so if you give me mechanics that I can try to math out and, you know, put the puzzle pieces together and like very strict mechanical tools, less narrative driven tools. I'm going to go for the more strict ah. uh, mechanical tool. Interesting. So you okay. really like the 3.5 then. Yeah. I, although I'm really liking five E just because it's easy. Like there's a beauty in its simplicity. Yeah. Like exactly. Even from a person who really likes mechanics, the simplicity of it is like really well done mechanically. That yeah. I, I really can enjoy it. Um, I, I've been watching some comparison videos between it and Pathfinder 2nd Edition, though. Um, I think I ultimately like Pathfinder 2nd Edition, but one of the things that the guy in the video said was, like, the layout of the Pathfinder core rulebook is atrocious. And I keep remembering, I keep opening that book, and I have to close it after, like, 15 pages. I cannot read that <laughs> Yeah, <book>. It's so <laughs> bad. The, <sighs> the, the layout of that book is just piss poor it is so hard to read they have so many rules all over the place and you have no idea what you're reading it's a problem and justin and i you know we encounter this so much in all the different systems we come across is it it is not easy to contain all of the rules into one section for that a player is going to need yeah Uh, it's hard to do and when it when you see a system that that stays simple and can do that you know praises to the to the authors you can tell that they've got miles under their belt for getting to that point yeah like fifth edition Mm -hmm. fifth edition does a really good job of getting the rules you need where you need them and i'll say the one thing is good hearing my buddy who plays pathfinder second edition honestly uh, a just well detailed glossary would solve a lot of their problems but they don't have that and so uh, even Rogue Trader, which we've been playing for the for the most part, it's it's been okay. But there are still some tongue in cheek points where you're like, "Wait, what does that even mean?" And like, yeah. you got to find that in a whole totally different area of the system. And you're like, oh, anyways. Yeah. yeah. So uh, other than going deep dive into some RPG stuff, I've been reading up a lot on. Yeah, I've doing a lot of reading on the Fey because I want to bring in a lot of stuff from the Fey Wild into my game. So I just started downloading some books and researching folklore and seeing ways I can like bring the Fey into my realm and stuff like that. So doing a lot of that sort of research and having fun with that. Oh, you know, um, you should uh, you should talk to Donna about that. She oh, yeah? is. Uh, oh my gosh, she is an avid avid reader of shall we say fey lore and those types mm-hmm. of stuff oh my gosh yeah she could i'm sure she has all kinds of ideas for you that might yeah. be fun um and then i've been reading a bunch too uh in the last i think about a week and a half maybe i finished book six and seven of the wheel of time there you go there um, you go so i just finished book seven a couple of hours ago maybe about now an this, hour ago this is your first read through of it right no my second oh second okay although right. my first read was Oh, 15, 16 years ago. Okay. So I, I essentially my first read because I've forgotten almost everything. Um, but yeah, I just finished book seven, um, and I'm about to start book eight either tonight or if this goes this on is, late. This is where the slog point. starts, my friend. 
Yeah, uh, <laughs> was it Crossroads of Twilight? Yeah, or Path of Daggers is what I'm on. Yeah. Now, now how many like, more books till you get to the Brandon Sanderson stuff? Uh, well, I got eight, nine, ten, and eleven of just Robert Jordan. So four more just Robert Jordan books, and then I got the three Brandon Sanderson after that. And, and then I, I still need to get New Spring. So Yeah. And I feel like um, 10 and 11, more 11, um, Robert Jordan obviously knew he was sick at that point, right? And mm-hmm. so he was trying to rein things in that had sort of spiraled spiraled out of control yeah i mean (laughs) by book seven things haven't spiraled out of control yet it's kind of actually interesting because i remember things like book 11 had i think like a 200 page prologue yeah and because he had so many loose ends everywhere and honestly like i'm sitting here at book seven i'm like there still aren't that many loose ends you have like maybe four storylines going on which isn't too bad right um yeah, they all start scattering in book eight. So yeah, I, uh, reading them again, I, I'm definitely appreciating things. I think I'm noticing a lot of things I missed before, and like picking up on small details. Um, so definitely uh, appreciating it, and it's it's a good read. And uh, it's funny. I think it was like three days ago. I saw this article pop up on my feed that was like, "The Wheel of Time is the book is the book series you should start reading in the quarantine." I'm like, as I just finished book seven, I'll read this article. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> one step ahead of you so uh yeah that, that's been about my week nice uh let's see what have i been doing um oh uh jason and i and a couple other friends played blackstone fortress on tabletop simulator last uh saturday was it jason or friday friday night yeah, time is meaningless now. I don't know. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. I, I had to think circle. multiple times today. Like during this podcast, I'm like, you guys are talking about your week, your deep week. And I'm like, wait, is it Saturday now? Is it Thursday? Oh, it's Monday. I, I was trying to think about I, I know I played something on Monday. Was that a week ago? Oh, yes, it was. <laughs> it was in the most recent <laughs> past. Right? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, so we played on Friday night. And um, I Blackstone Fortress was always uh, one of those games that sort of caught my eye. Because it came out right when I was really getting into painting, and they had all these really cool 40k models that weren't 40k army models, right? They had like the giant robot, um, they had some spindle drones, they had some, um, you know, uh, trader guardsmen, stuff like that that are in there, and they were all cool sculpts. And so I was like, man, this this really caught my eye, but I never, I was like, having never played it, I don't know if I want to drop the $150 that it cost for that game, you know, because it could be a dud. Um, but we played it the other night and sort of, you know, we're learning the rules as we were going along. And I realized that I was doing a lot of not right things with the bad guys, which I think gave a little bit of a break to the heroes, which was okay. Um but um yeah it was fun look tabletop simulator has sort of been a lifesaver um i've been able to get in a game i played jason for age of sigmar last week um we did an ogre versus Mm -hmm. uh uh orcs game just he and i are both still kind of learning our armies because they're new armies for us um and then i played blackstone fortress and i've played other things on there and that that has been like probably the one thing that has allowed me to sort of retain my sanity in terms of uh connections with other people in my gaming world you know um being able to still play and you know it's funny because we're playing a board game on the computer but when you're really in the game and really playing with your friends 
I almost don't notice. I, you know, we're just, yeah, like sometimes the the mechanics of you know moving pieces around can get a little goofy, but we're in the game playing the game, right? And I think it's just uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's certainly um, more like uh, playing a board game than it is like playing a video game. Yeah, um, for sure. sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I will say that uh, when you are not familiar with the game, it was a little clunky to try to like set the game up. At first, it really makes you appreciate yep. those games that are scripted, have scripted setup on Tabletop oh, yeah. Simulator. Yep. Um, <clears throat> which is, uh, we've played a few of the actual paid-for DLC, and those make it really fun to um, make it really fun to play, because uh, you can just push a button and then you're playing the game, right? Or you've got it all set up. But this one, yep. we had to kind of like pull all of the pieces out of the bags and set up and it was probably 40 minutes of setup because we'd never played the game and we didn't know yeah. what we were doing and but once but the, we got playing man yeah. it was it was smooth and fun and fast and i really enjoyed it it was a lot of fun um and the nice thing is is that you know uh blackstone fortress for those that don't know it's kind of one of those games where it's a campaign oriented game you know you have a little skirmish that you can do with your friends but you're you know you're meant to go back to your ship resupply and then come back and you have this overarching objective and the great thing about Tabletop Simulator, I hit save. We save yep. all the pieces where they were, and we'll come back to it another day. You know, and we don't have to worry about setting it all up again and pulling it out of the box. So that was kind of the, the advantage there. Um, even though it did take us a little while to set up and it got a little goofy, um, we didn't have to put it away. Like, put it away, put it away. Right. Yeah, that's so nice. I played some uh, Shadows of Brimstone, and we did basically the same thing. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, other than that, I'm just doing a little bit of prep for our Rogue Trader campaign coming up this week. Um, we've kind of normally we play once a month just because we're dads and busy and all that stuff, you know. But um, we've been moving it up to once every other week, so my prep schedule has definitely, um, you know, hit an uptake, especially since this is a new system for me. So um, I'm excited though. I've got a pretty good adventure waiting for the guys, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Are you guys actually playing Rogue Trader, Rogue Trader? Yeah. Okay. Well, so it's, not, the, uh, it's the FFG version. Yeah, yeah, but the, the F, they well, had, uh, there's the three. There's Rogue Trader, there's the middle one. Well, so there's Dark Heresy was Dark the first Heresy, one. Dark Heresy, yeah. And then Rogue Trader is the second one, and Death Watch is the third one. There's one after Rogue Trader before Death Watch. Oh, was there? Was, oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I, I played a bunch of Dark Heresy and all that, and there's one book after that. It's like, so Dark Heresy is like you're all uh, inquisitorial henchmen. Yeah. And then Rogue Trader, you're actually like a rogue trader with a crew. And then the next one, you're like inquisitors and like uh, just the high lords and like all the top, the next tier above Rogue Trader, you would imagine. Oh, nice. Cool. Yeah. I think it's like, I think it's Ascension. I don't know. I forget what it was called, but it's, it's, it's one step above. And now they had fine tuned their mechanics by then. At that point yeah. Too. So I, I lied when I said this was the FFG version. This is actually the cubicle seven version that they had inherited from FFG. So there's oh, a it... lot of FFG mechanics still in there that cubicle seven just kept, right? Cause it was working. Um, but it's published by cubicle seven now. Speaking of Cubicle 7, have you checked out Soulbound yet? So, you just made a great segue into our new <laughs> section, my friend. <laughs> and I'm glad you mentioned it, because um, this is uh, probably one of the top on our list, is Soulbound um, is out for um, purchase now. Soulbound is the Warhammer Age of Sigmar uh, RPG 
And right now I'm looking at it on Drive-Thru RPG. It's $30 for a watermarked PDF. I'm sure you could probably find it in Amazon for, um, you know, if you want a hardbound cover or whatever. Um, but um, it looks interesting. I'm kind of waiting for a little bit more than just the rule book to come out before I start diving into it. But um, given how, you know, immersed we are within the lore of Age of Sigmar as we play the tabletop stuff, I could see myself running a Age of Sigmar um, RPG, you know, campaign knowing that, you know, the world and the lore is sort of second nature by the time I start it. You know, I've had to sort of reacquaint myself with 40k stuff watched a lot of videos and things like that to you know get that grimdark feeling but uh, i think age of sigmar would come a lot easier yeah no i've uh i started looking at the book a couple so if you buy the book from cubicle 7 i don't know about outside source if you like pre-order your hard copy from them uh -huh. um they'll give you all the pdfs for free oh that's oh, a great wow. deal okay. so it's like 60 bucks for the hard copy of the book and they give you all the pdfs now for free if you pre-order the book and the book will i think will ship q4 they said um oh so q3. that's how so many people have it already okay that yeah. makes a lot of sense um so yeah that's why a bunch they, they just announced that like what like three days ago or something um and so i started looking at it the first thing i want to say because I, I got a copy of it from a friend because i don't know if i want to get it yet um so he decided to send me his pdf and if i really like it i'll buy the copy myself i like to do that a lot um and you like to what pirate stuff a lot you horrible well, person <laughs> i i condemn you for that garrett mulroney well I, I what i do is i will pirate something just to like check it out and if i plan to actually use any content from the book i then go and buy it i just oh, like fair, fair. Yeah, i pirate stuff because i don't want to because i know there's a lot of when when I was playing D&D, I bought like 30 source books and I would use like a page out of one of them and I'd be like, that was bad. I just spent $30 on this. So I like to kind of just like preview a book, see if there's anything I like out of it. Um, and then I go like, yes, I need, I like material out of this. I'm going to support them and buy them because you, you don't always need everything that is comes out. And, uh, it's, and Soulbound was one of those things where it's like, I don't have the time to add a new RPG, but I'm curious. So I just want to read it. And if I am really liking it, I'll pick it up and maybe try to start something. But in the so meantime... What were, your, what were your first impressions of it? Um, it's definitely interesting. I never, I hadn't gotten into the mechanics of actually playing the game yet. I just, just got through character building. Mm -hmm. But the one thing I'll say is the artwork in this book is fantastic. It has oh, beautiful, awesome. beautiful artwork. Um, there's one cool lore thing that came out is, uh, so as Stormcast die, we all know that they uh, lose a part of their soul. Well, apparently they will do stuff to try to regain part of their soul. And some of them, like their eyes will glow, but sometimes they tattoo themselves. And they have this really cool female Stormcast that has like these face tattoos all the way down her face. And it just looks really good. Um, that was cool. So, and they have like r these really dope looking like dark elf corsairs and uh witch elves and Ideneth deepkin and just like all these super super greatly detailed art which for one thing is also new art because i know with a lot of the battle tomes they end up recycling a lot of old art everything in this is all new art we've never it's never been like come from a battle tome or something like that and it's all reimagined by some new artist and it just looks really really good so there's at least that if you spend 60 bucks you can just get this beautiful piece of art out of this book honestly now do you know if this is a is this the same kind of d10 system that like rogue, rogue Trader no is? it's not at all 
Um, it's a D6 based game. Um, and it, it actually reminds me a little bit about Deadlands Classic, where you level up skills. And if you're like level four, you roll four d6. Or if you're level mm. one, you roll one d6. But I don't know how that uh, plays out to actually passing checks. I never got to there. All I know is when I was looking at character building, there's three stats, strength, mental, and spirit. And they range from levels like one through six. Or Interesting. Like that. Okay. And then there's yeah, skills under those. I feel like that's... I, I played um, Dragon Age, um, the RPG Dragon Age at a con. And I feel like they were very D6 based, but I could totally be talking out of my behind because it's been a while. The original so, Shadowrun was a D6 system like that. I think they might have based it off of Shadowrun if I remember reading their oh, yeah. marketing okay. material. It's they, I put uh, some smaller uh, you know, D6 RPGs back in the day. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, as long as the system is balanced. You know what? Yeah, I, I've been curious about this one because I don't really know a lot about it, but can, can you only play as Stormcast? or can No, you, you can play as... Any or uh, so they have. You can't play a Seraphon, and I think that's about it. So there's like um, archmages, priests, and I forget what the other human was. And then you got Idenet Deepkin. I think there's two different Idenet Deepkin archetypes. Oh so actually, really? Ha- yeah. So uh, so they have L. So when you create your character, you either pick an archetype and then modify it slightly, which is like a Stormcast Knight Azeros, a Stormcast Knight. A quester or you or like a hag queen or something like that or you just build your character from scratch and you pick your race and you just build out your stats um and so, so but they, it's all order pretty much right it's almost all order they don't have lizard lizard seraphon in there because they mentioned that uh that you know seraphon could be an enemy or npc um but they have all elves all of them shadow elves light elves and uh daughters of cain and uh deep kin which uh, no, they don't have they don't have any lumineth in there it's just uh um so then they have so just deepkin daughters of cain and darkling covens and then they have both uh fire slayers and character overlords and you can be a dispossessed um and then you have stormcast eternals uh humans colgate arcana uh or uh the priests um i forget what they're called and then I think that's about it. So, oh, then you could be Sylvaneth. You could be either a Kurnoth Hunter or a Branch Witch. Huh. Well, it might be fun to get all of us AOS nerds together and maybe <laughs> run a run a session or two, right? Yeah, could be. Yeah, yeah. how do you guys uh, play RPGs like this when we're, we're all shut in like this? Is there kind of a standard software everyone uses? or Ro- is it just... Roll20 is a popular software that, uh, is, I mean, it's been around for a long time now. It feels mm-hmm. kind of old, but it's still really good. And then tabletop simulator. <laughs> oh, sure. I guess there is t- tabletop simulator. We yeah. use, uh, we've used yeah. Discord a lot in the past. We've also used um, uh, recently Zoom to play. Although Discord just upped the ante, and now they do video chatting within the like gaming rooms. You know the voice chat yeah. thing. So I think this Saturday we're just going to go exclusive Discord instead of trying to do zoom and because we have a dice roller built into the uh, into our, our dice bot you know in we're our also, discord we're a lot more theater of the mind when we play online yeah i was about to ask are you guys more theater of the mind or are you kind of uh on the board tabletop i i do a lot more miniature tabletop stuff so roll we, 20 helps we, with that a lot yeah we did one when it was in person i mean i'd roll out the battle mat and we'd have some minis and stuff like that you know but um yeah, it's I, interesting. I, you can see the differences between our GM styles because I'm I am almost a hundred percent theater of the mind no matter what system I'm playing. I feel yeah. like it 
it goes well with my GM style. But uh, we had a lot of fun playing an entire campaign, doing many many breakouts during combat with Justin on Shadow of the Demon Lord. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's why I like to have the the tabletop portion myself is when we get into the combat. Yeah, definitely. And I think it, I think it depends on the system too, right? I mean, if we when Jason and I um, GM'd at Gen Con. Um, and, you know, that was kind of all theater of the mind. It's not like we were bringing out minis for them to play with, you know, in a four-hour session. So, um, you know, just kind of got to adapt and overcome, right? <laughs> yeah, I want to imagine if you're talking Zoom or Discord, if you, as long as you can do a screen share, then you can still have, bring up, you know, uh, invocative images and stuff like that. And <laughs> yeah. Have you, so. Well, you do post stuff in, like, pictures. We used to do that every now and then. Yeah. But then, then you get the people that are just starting to post crazy memes half the time, and you're like, okay, guys, all right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. So two other bits on our news this week. Um, one is that the Book of Fiends is coming out for pre-order. The Book of Fiends is a 5E, D&D 5E supplement. It's written by Rob Schwab. Um, who created Shadow of the Demon Lord. He also did a lot of work on D&D 5e. His name's in the credits there. I've got Aaron Lobb, Eric Mona, and Chris Promise. Chris Promise um, is pretty well known within the RPG community. Um, he wrote the book on uh, Dragon Age RPG, all different editions of it. And um, also Fantasy Age was his thing. So um, you'll they collaborated together, and this uh, this book of fiends details all the devils, demons, and daemons for Five E. So I, the, just yeah. as a note, this is actually them bringing a book that they've worked together because they've they made the book of fiends before previously, and right. this is them bringing it up to the fifth edition. Yeah, yep. there's been a fourth edition and a third edition yeah. of mm -hmm. Fiends. And Robert Schwab has been involved in all of those. And if, if you any of you know Robert Schwab, this is totally his wheelhouse. He is all about demons and 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 fiends and all of that stuff. And I mean, Shadow of the Demon Lord was his system that he made completely. Uh, and I love, and I made this point when we first brought this up, I love that they distinguish properly between demons and daemons. Yeah. Unlike other systems. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, now, what, what would you see as the difference there? So if you go back uh, to the origins of the words, the demon is what we would historically think of a demon. It's, you know, whether it's a spirit or, or a fiend or an in-between god and, and man type thing, it's something there to seduce that's sadistic, has the sadistic qualities to it. It's there to make your life not as good as it should be or to trick you. Whereas right. a daemon has the same status of existence, but its purpose is the opposite. It's usually uh, has a good a good role or there to help you develop your character or to realize who you truly are versus the mask that we hide behind. Oh, interesting. I didn't it, know that distinction. The other thing is it's a little tricky because those two terms don't actually sit together in the same like religious context. Right. So you wouldn't say demon and daemon together if you're talking about the same religion. They, they kind of are separate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways, interesting. So I've always had an issue with with the the Warhammer. You know, every everything's a daemon. We we say demon. You know, whatever. But and we know what it means. And nowadays, I think the word is actually interchangeable, and that's what language is all about—just implying meaning, right? But I mean, anyways, I know as far I back cool. as three point five, demon and daemon has been separated, though. So at least in yeah. the D and D system, they've been separating it. Yep. 
but pretty cool that they're uh, upping this to the fifth edition so we can take advantage of it. Yeah, very excited about it. Uh, let's see. The last thing that I wanted to bring up is that there's a Warhammer 40k RPG Death Watch. Uh, we just kind of mentioned it. Um, it is on sale on Humble Bundle. I actually ended up picking it up because I'm a sucker. Um, I paid $18. Yeah, I paid $18 for it. Um, I got a core book, I got a GM kit, and I got 15 splats. So this included adventures and supplements. So essentially 17 books for $18. And those are all um, electronic copy though, right? Yeah, all PDFs. Um, you know, not, uh, and um, it also came with a 20% off coupon for Cubicle 7, which I could then use to purchase so, these, um, so the uh, Soulbound so book. So yeah. For twenty percent off. Yeah, if you go to Soulbound, uh, if you go to Cubicle Seven's website and go to their uh, Soulbound section, you'll see the announcement about the thing, and they have like, oh, you know, a more uh, like collector's edition, which has a bunch of stuff. They have a DM screen. There's actually a bunch of Soulbound products that you can buy there. Oh, very cool. That collection yeah. edition book hardcover looks awesome. Yeah, it does. The the, the artwork. I mean, I just want to read it again. The artwork in the book is phenomenal. I love. It. It's coming from someone who loves Age of Sigmar. Mm-hmm. The artwork is great. Yeah. Like as far as Age of Sigmar artwork go, it's some of my favorite. Awesome, very good. So yeah, I was a sucker for it. I picked it up. I don't know when I'll ever play it, but I figured for eighteen dollars, like for all those books, like I can't pass it up. I mean, that's another, that's another campaign I'll run in a few years, whatever. But you know, it'll be awesome. So yeah. Um, all right, well, let's pivot, man. Let's get to what we really came here to talk about. You know, it's been fun kind of shooting the breeze a little bit about all of our fun gaming stuff, but we wanted to talk about, um, Warhammer and the ITC. Um, and for those of you who are listening and like, what the heck is the ITC? We literally brought in the founders to talk about the ITC and what the implications are for wargaming with it. Um, I, I just want to interject. We are not the founders. Oh, okay. All right. Sorry. Reese, Reese Robbins and Frankie Giampapa from Frontline Gaming are the founders and owners of ITC. All right. Very John good. John and I very have just been involved in the ITC playing in it since its inception. Now, and Garrett's probably a little bit more involved than that because he <laughs> his full-time job is with Best Coast Pairings, which if you've ever played a Warhammer tournament – the chances are you've used this app to do your pairings, do your scoring, do your tracking, all of that stuff. Garrett is the man for that, and in fact, it's that backbone of a system that is used to calculate all of the ITC standings um, as we move forward. So let's start from the beginning. Uh, John and Garrett, why don't you give us like a quick rundown of like what is the ITC, what does it stand for, and... How did it start? Sure. Uh, let me let me feel this one for a minute here. Um, so ITC is the International Tournament Circuit. Okay. In, no, and, Independent Tournament. Oh, give me Independent. Yeah. Well, it, it is international too, yeah. but it, you're right. It's the Independent Tournament Circuit. Uh, it started out for Warhammer 40,000. And uh, if we go back to the Dark Ages when it first started out, uh, you would actually uh, finish your tournament, fill out an Excel spreadsheet, uh, or even a hand form that you would uh, email to Reese, and they would hand enter your scores. And wow. that that actually went on for a couple years. And yeah. 
that's really kind of how Garrett and I got to know each other, uh, both competitively minded individuals. Um, that first year uh, of the ITC, um, Garrett, uh, did you win Best Sisters of Battle that year, Garrett? I did win Best Sisters of Battle. Yeah. So Garrett won Best Sisters of Battle. Uh, I won Best Dark Angels. Uh, and some of our other mutual friends won Best of Factions. And Garrett and a few people were all on the same competitive team, the Left Coast Corsairs. And uh, I saw a bunch of people I knew uh, all with these Best of Factions awards. I said, hey, I got to join that team. So I joined their team. Okay. So that kind of pulled us all in as a group uh, into this, into the ITC, into this competitive circuit. And it was, it was so small. It was a West Coast thing, I think, when it started out, really. Uh, Reese and Frankie are local to the Northern California Bay Area. Uh, they started out running an event called the Bay Area Open. You guys, I mentioned that I'm supposed to TO the Age of Sigmar portion of the Bay Area Open in a couple weeks, of course, which isn't happening. Uh, but anyway, so that's, that's where they start off. So Reese really just had this idea to start a circuit basically – as a way to promote competitive gaming and to give stores and people a reason to uh, or give people a reason to travel to various events and that's really what it, it started as it's just this idea that he had now at the time Reese already had his frontline gaming he already had a very popular podcast that everyone was listening to that was into competitive gaming there was a strong uh, lots of independent tournaments all across the country, but nothing, it was much like it was in Age of Sigmar a couple years ago. There was nothing tying any one of these together. So, you know, one person would go to Adepticon and win Adepticon and say, I'm the best 40K player. And somebody else would go out to the right. Bay Area Open and they would say, I'm the best 40K player. And that's what it kind of started as. Um, yeah, I, I just want to like add on to that. So, Reese, Reese and Frankie had, uh, they were both really big before any of this into uh, the competitive 40k scene and they would travel around and then reese decided hey frankie let's create a gaming team they created team zero comp and they oh, went right. around and they 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 just punched through a lot of the major tournaments they would like throne of skulls art boys they were just punching through and doing really well i don't know if they want they i think one year they uh, one of them won one and another year they just got really far and they were just kicking ass and taking names. And that's kind of where Reese was like, well, we're having, like, he realized that not everyone travels like he does. And they're like, why don't people travel to all these events? And so he's like, well, let's try to get all these guys working together. And I think the other big thing was 40K was kind of a mess at that point. And so he tried to use the ITC as a way of unifying uh, the competitive scene. So it's like, hey guys, we all need to be on the same page as far as like FAQ. Because at this point, uh, GW was not very involved in creating FAQs and they would no. just release well, this book. He was, he was actually, remember, there was like a council that he was a part mm -hmm. of. Yeah. He was still the, at that, by the, the point you're talking about, he was still the TO of the Bay Area Open. Yeah. And like you said, was a well known mouthpiece in 40K. And so he kind of got together with, I, I think, uh, guys like Mike Brandt, who runs the mm -hmm. Nova Open, uh, and the guys from uh, Adepticon. Yeah. And they all started to kind of create a fact. And, yep. and that mm -hmm. fact has grown into the ITC uh, 40K fact. And it, remember, on the Age of Sigmar side, things are much easier, things are much lighter, and the ITC is a much newer thing. Uh, but on the 40K side, uh, let's see, my I was just looking at my thing. My my Dark Angels trophy is for the 2014 season. So yeah. you know, it's been going at least six, seven years. 
Yeah, so yeah. he ended up running. So he was running the BAO, and he ran. He decided to create the Las Vegas Open because he wanted a after it was after Throne of Skulls close. I believe it was the it was either Skull for the Skull for or Throne of Skulls. I forget which one it was, but it was a Las Vegas event. He was sad that it went, so he decided to fill that void, create a Las Vegas event, and he decided starting from Las Vegas 2013 or 2014 to yep. Las Vegas 2015 will be the ITC 2014 season. And then from then on, uh, it's Las Vegas to Las Vegas will be the circuit. So he wants Las Vegas to be this culminated event that is the end of the ITC season. And he used the Las Vegas Open to kick off the ITC. And that's what the ITC, that's how it began. That, so, that's definitely how it began. So walk me through this, guys. How does the ITC actually work? Because it's not... Um... It's not necessarily like the PGA, right, where you've got um, a bunch of dedicated – like the PGA says, here is our um, money-making uh, you know, golf invitationals, and this is the set list, right, that you have to go to if you want to be a part of the PGA type of thing. You can go do your pro-ams. You can go do your little – you know, you can't even do amateur type thing, but, you know, you can go do your thing. But, you know, this is, we've got a set of, you know, 20, you know, I'm just throwing a number out there, 20 um, golf invitationals, and that is the PGA. The ITC is not like that, right? Um, no, in not, that not at all. It's it, a, it's a it, set it honestly is a completely different philosophy. Right, yeah. So the, walk the us through that a little bit. Like, so what, the philosophy... what is the ITC? The the driving force, the philosophy of the ITC is merely to get people to play more games and travel and play tournaments. That is their only goal. Only goal. And so the ITC has no set number. They honestly want more events to pop up. They want more and more events to be created and added to the ITC. So how it works is what they did to encourage as many people to play is they create a system where you just you get a number of points based off how well you do in an event and the larger the event and how and the larger and the higher up in the placings you get in that event the more points you'll get so if you get first place at a small event you may get around like 120 points while if you get first place at a very large event you can get upwards of like 200 points and then the points vary then from all the other placings the lower placing you get the less points you'll get but you have a higher multiplier based off of the size of the event. Mm -hmm. And then you just take your top number of events. You just like, oh, I, I get my top four events. So you can't just have one person go to 80 events and obviously he wins because he went to 80 events and no one else can. It's no, we'll just take your best ones. That way, if you go to an event and you do poorly, it doesn't screw you. There's no averaging or anything like that. No. Just take your best ones. Uh, for now, in 40K, it's your top six events and then they put some stipulations to try to encourage people to go to larger events that you have to have at least one of your events be a major event, which is 58 or more people. And um, then at least, and you only can have up to four of your events be RTTs, which are just smaller events. And then you can have uh, two, you need at least one uh, GT, which is only 40 players or more. Well, yeah, and, and the caveats, though, on those large ones are like a GT or a mm -hmm. major event uh, has to have five rounds minimum. Yeah. So there's things right. like that. So there's there's size and length of tournament, obviously, to make them more valuable. And, you know, early on with the ITC, um, it, it was really – there was only a couple major events. You know, if we, if we especially if we switched to Age of Sigmar up until, what, just even two years ago, 
it was hard to get more than a couple major events to mm-hmm. fill your score. But nowadays, especially in 40K and even this last year with Age of Sigmar, <laughs> we have people that are traveling the country and they're filling out all of their scores with majors and GTs. And so it's become a thing where, you know, if you want to be one of the top placers in the ITC, you have to travel to the major tournaments around the country too. And I, so that has created almost a, a subculture. And so I would say that there is a, <laughs> a regional competitive culture of people that travel through right. a whole area and travel to GTs and stuff. And then there is also now a national culture of people that travel to these major tournaments um, and we and have become friends. I mean, I've met so many East Coast, Southwest, and Northwest players just because of the ITC. It's amazing. And I will say one of the major successes of the ITC was when they had the idea to not just give out your the best of the ITC trophy, they also decided to give out faction trophies because then yeah. many people it allowed for many more winners. And so there's like like there's probably like maybe in 40k now maybe a hundred or so people that. Wow. And, uh, and let me let me let me interrupt you there, Garrett. I, I want to throw something out there too. One of the you know, like Garrett said, it, not only one person gets to be the best in the ITC, but GW has so many factions that everybody gets a chance at being a best of faction. Now, I want to throw out for my friend Garrett here. Garrett was the actual first person to win a best of faction in both 40k and in Age of Sigmar. Oh wow! I didn't know that. Yes. I mean, there's at this point, a bunch of people have done it. I have done that myself, uh, but Garrett was the first to do that. Nice. What was your uh, Sigmar faction? Oh, I think Don't we lost him. Yeah, he, uh, I, I embarrassed him by pointing out his skills. Here, I'll, I'll do my Garrett. Uh, well, I, I won with, uh, with Best of Chaos there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no worries. No worries. So um, one thing that um, I wanted to ask you about. So so one, one, one thing I noticed, and, and I am relatively new to the ITC, uh, right? Okay. Um, because I started playing a year ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So um, my first game was against Matt Barker. And oh, nice. First game ever. Oh, nice. First game ever. So yeah. I can see why you're you're instantly hooked on the game, playing a super cool dude like that. Oh, he's super cool. And a beautifully painted army. Beautifully painted Nurgle army. And he jacked me up real good. And then I played Sergio Ortiz right after that. Oh, another um, great guy. Yeah, exactly. And another great player, right? Um, and I barely lost to him. It came down to a dice roll. And, uh, you know, it was one of those games that, you know, you know, sometimes, here's another golf uh, metaphor, that, you know, or a golf analogy, I guess. Sometimes you go out golfing and you suck the entire day, but then there'll be that one hit. That yes. one hit that is yes. perfect, and that's where it'll keep you, coming, where it'll keep you coming back. I think that that dice roll against Sergio kept me coming back because I was having not a great day. I finished way last in that tournament, you know, and I'm like, I don't think my army's great. I don't think I'm a very good player. And I wasn't either. And my army bit list was terrible and whatever, you know, but, um, you know, taking Sergio to a dice roll, that was the perfect hit. You know what I mean? Being like, I think I can do this. I think I can do this. So, um, well, anyway, that's the, that's the beauty of, of playing a game like age of Sigma or even 40 K is, is these are grand scale games. 
games that that yes there is an ultimate winner but if you're if you're playing you know especially if you're playing a friendly game say three four hours with a friend and it's about who won at the end then you're missing the entire point of this game what it's about is all these little moments that happen on the table it's, it's a crazy dice roll it's when you make that roll or fail that roll right uh it's these weird little situations so that that's what it's for me it's like i i almost never even care uh why well, in a tournament i care but but when it's a casual game i don't care if i win or lose as long as i'm having a fun and engaging time with my friends um that's what it's really all about and and i think you guys uh if you've started to play in the competitive side you'd find that you know yes there are people who come to tournaments and they come there to kick ass but those are the same guys that come to the game store on league night to kick ass or you know on casual game night to kick ass most of the people going to the tournaments are there to have fun and to have an opportunity to to roll the dice i know myself i'm a i'm a very busy person you know businessman family man all the things like all of us are and but i found that if i schedule a tournament it's a point in the future where I can say, on this day, I'm going to go play some Warhammer. And I've actually found that my wife actually gives me a little leniency as I go up towards there. I can sneak in a few games with friends for practice. But I have this guaranteed day where I'm going to get three games in. Win or lose, I'm going to be rolling dice and de-stressing all day long. So that's mm-hmm. that's an amazing yeah. thing. And, you know, guys, I live out here in the San Francisco Bay Area, with you know, huge metropolitan area. And when the ITC um, started and the tournament circuit started, there was nobody running tournaments here in the Bay Area. And so I myself looked around and said, hey, man, I want to I wanna play some Age of Sigmar. I should say people were playing 40K, but there was no Age of Sigmar tournaments. And so yeah. I decided that I was going to just run one tournament a month. In fact, I decided I was going to run 13 tournaments in a row because I play Skaven. So, you know, 13 for everything. <laughs> there you go. And uh, I, that's why I started Firehead Productions. And I just began running tournaments in the Bay Area. And, you know, it started small, you know, 5, 6 to 8, then 16 and started running larger events. Uh, then people started asking me to run GTs and all that kind of stuff. And over the last few years, uh, the Bay Area community has, you know, taken on its own momentum. We have, you know, multiple people that have gotten into competitive gaming, have gone to the Las Vegas Open and traveled to other events uh, for the first time. Yeah. And it's it's really, really personally satisfying to see that, yes, my my little effort to set up and run these events, and believe me, it's no torture to run events uh, at a game place like the Game Castle, right, uh, is is all these little events that I'm running, bring this community together, and then now, like, I myself have hardly run events. You know, I just wore about, like, four or five GTs a year, and all these people that were used to attend my events are now running all the RTTs That's in the awesome. area. And yeah. so it's it's like it, it gives a reason to hold events and events are what bring people out and that starts to build that community and that's to me what what all this gaming is really about and and it's the thing about the ITC that that Garrett will point to me as you know the the king of doing this is at least on the age of sigmar side right not so much on 40k but on the age of sigmar side there is a huge emphasis that TOs run their own events and that's what what I like about it I have my own very unique ideas about how a tournament should be ran, you know, uh, ideas of fairness, balance, scoring. Uh, You know, Garrett and I, like, you could get us talking about scoring mechanics and the way points and secondaries work. And I tell you, we could fill three hours with our discussions back and forth because we both are passionate about it and we both have very strong ideas about how these things should work. Like, one of my favorite things that I bring uh, for my events is uh, my... um, uh, the, 
sportsmanship scoring. So I have what I call self-score sportsmanship, which is a series of six binary questions. Um, did you bring your rules? Do you have your dice? Did you play fairly? Did you play in a timely manner? Were your models painted? And basically, if you fail to say yes to any of those questions, you deduct a point from your score. And so every round, part of your score and part of the end is everyone sitting down and going, wow, okay, I, I played fair, or are my models painted and all of that. And I think that you have to do these kinds of things to encourage more than just smashing face on the table. We're trying to right. build a, a fun game. So anyways, I, I know I just kind of brainstormed a bunch of stuff there, but but anyways, I, to me, that's that's my passion is that the ITC has given given this opportunity for people across the country, TOs right. across the country to create events. And that's a thing that I think a lot of people aren't appreciating is this explosion of available events in all the different regions across the country. Even if you're not thinking, even if that event isn't an ITC event, the fact that there is such a large community and there is such a large competitive scene is backboned off the existence of the ITC. And that's where I would point to my partner Garrett over there one last time is, you know, there was a point in the ITC when it was done with patent pen and paper, but I'll remember back to Stockton Con. Was, was it Stockton? No, no, it was Willow War, well, wasn't mean, it? I've where both, Garrett? So. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, when you first came up with the app, I remember you came up with the app as just a little thing to help some friends run some local tournaments, and <laughs> lo and behold, Garrett being the guy he is, his little thing that he banged out over the weekend turned out to be amazing and for me as a to that's the last kind of secret sauce of why and how i run events is without the bcp app i would never run an event but the fact that i can pop an event up throw some links out on facebook yep. they collect all the money the money drops into my account i use that to buy trophies and prize support boom super easy come to the event day of the event does my pairings, all those things. A lot of things people don't even know is you could actually download a list of the emails of all of your players. And so I even send packets out to my players before the event. So everybody has that ahead of time. It's it's just an amazing just tool. Just make sure make you BCC work. your players and not CC your players. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, yep. uh, I, I, I'm pretty good at the old email protocol, but my gosh, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> So I, I agree, and, and you know, it's interesting because um, I think that um, the uh, I the I, ICT, it encourages – sorry, the ITC, ICT. The ITC, it encourages standardization on a certain level, right, because you're trying to compare apples to apples, whether you're in Virginia versus California versus New York versus, you know, uh, Nebraska, wherever you're at. You want to say, okay, like, well, you know, I played Nighthawk for a year and I was routinely looking at my scores and seeing, you know, Alex Gonzalez being like, well, he's crushing me on Nighthawk, you know, tournaments. And I would look at his scores and see like, wow, that tournament, he plays third with it. I wonder what he's running over there. Why is he doing so well? You know, and it would make me think about like, what kind of list do I have? Um, you know, what, uh, what list is he, you know, what kind of list are, is he using? Um, you know, what, what's, uh, what's the meta over in California like that Nighthawk might be doing pretty well, or, or is it just him as a player? You know, so it made me start thinking way more than just um, who can I play at my gaming store on a Thursday night? You know, it, it, it kind of like broadened it out. So there's sort of a standardization that um, comes out when you create your lists for the, you know, Best Coast Pairing app. You know, we 
generally use the um, War Scroll Builder that I, I think is relatively, I mean, it's not new, but it's relatively new in terms of uh, the functionality that it has now. Right, can, yeah, War you know, Scroll Bold I mean, Builder is actually made by a local community uh, member out here, too, uh, Tony Pacheco. Yeah, and, um, I mean, that thing is a godsend, you know? Being able to do that and then standardize your list and put it into best close pairings so that everybody has the same list format. You know what you're looking at right away, right? Um, and um, having the online app, just as you were saying, and then being able to go to the Frontline Gaming website, look up the ITC scores and say, wow, you know, that tournament, I did terrible. <laughs> and so, you know, the next tournament, though, that I do, that will knock that bottom score out and I'll have a higher rolling average because of, or I guess it's a higher sum because, you know, I'll do better the next tournament. And so, and then it's after funny that be- one, the next tournament I and do, and then the next I tournament exactly. <laughs> so it's funny because you're kind of competing against yourself too. I mean, you're competing well, well, a, against a others. little bit because I don't know about you guys, but I I tend to look at like who's a who's above me a little bit. Yep. I will click on their name. I'll kind of see what events they went to. What are they running? So I I even though they're not people I meet often, I will I will poke around and see who else yeah. is kind of at that same level that I'm at. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, I, I like it. And then, you know, to your other point, so like I was saying that there's sort of some standardization that goes around because we are trying to compare apples to apples with the um, with the ITC. But the other thing that you said is that it doesn't mean that all the tournaments have to be the same. No. You know, I know we use Swiss pairings a lot for um, most of the tournaments because it makes the most sense, right? You want the winners to play the winners, the winners to play the winners, you know, and, and try to get to that undefeated person so you can say – you know, unabashedly, this is the winner of the tournament, you know, and I know that gets a little bit more complicated when you get a lot more players, but, you know, that's sort of the gist of, you know, three rounds versus five rounds and all that type of stuff where the ITC standardization comes in a little bit. But with that said, you don't necessarily have to run it with Swiss pairings. You could run it a different way. Yeah. You could run, you know, you could run a team of it. You could run a doubles of it. You could run all these different kinds of events that, allow you to still gain some ITC points, so you're still rewarded for playing Warhammer in a tournament setting. Right, right? and you'll you'll find that the, the odd formats, uh, team tournaments, escalation tournaments, um, round robin, smaller tournaments, all of those kind of fall into that bottom category of scoring. Um, yeah. And that's kind of the nice things is when we start talking about GTs and majors, those are always going to be a very standard Swiss 2,000-point tournament as we think about tournaments. And so sort of at the top of the ITC, you have people that are competing in this very standardized format. But at the same time, uh, those of us in the middle of the pack are playing in all different kinds of fun events and still have some kind of comparative score. So it's, it's again, pretty neat stuff. Like I I did an event once where it was one round was um, a monstrous creature, uh, one round was a character, and then one round was a 1250 army. Wow, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, I I truly agree with you that the ITC has led to a growth 
of GW and like miniatures and Warhammer that probably we we haven't seen in other places. I mean, there's four there's um X-wing tournaments and things like that out there. I also think that they're benefiting from things like best coast pairings and you know right. um other other meta type stuff. But with that said, I think that a overall awareness of like, hey, other people are playing this across the country, across the world is a kind of a big thing and it, it's helped the explosion for sure um but let me ask you this real quick and this will probably be the final topic um of the night do you see some downsides to having the itc are there some are there some negative consequences that maybe weren't part of the original thought process that have sort of cropped up over, uh, over time y- yes and no i, I mean there, there's a very strong criticism of the itc that comes up a bunch which is that it fuels competition to the extreme at the uh, detriment of sportsmanlike conduct because there is now an incentive to winning other than just winning the game. There, you actually earn a reward for your task. It can encourage mm. uh, unsportsmanlike conduct is a um, criticism that has been said. And... Let me hold on real, real quick, Garrett. Let me ask you something real quick. At the end of the ITC year, is there are there prizes if you win overall best player, Nurgle best player, you know best. Nurgle player, yes. best chaos player? Uh, you know, well, chaos the, the faction, so the faction is, awards, is the you get or? a trophy. Okay. Um, okay. But the uh, the top for the forty single best winner gets gets an amount of money, but it's not the, a huge the winner of the forty k winner of the ITC does get a an amount of money that may seem large at first, but when you take into account other things, it's not actually that much. Um, they they that, I mean that person spent more than that in playing tickets yeah, to earn that. Price. They I mean sure. the, it, it, the, la- <laughs> right. the last reward is five thousand dollars. Um. So, but in this hobby, like people, it it, may, it seems like a lot, but yeah. even in like any sort of stretch, five thousand at the end of the day is not that much. Look, five thousand dollars though means something a lot more to these guys than just money. It's yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know? Um, you know, but I mean, yeah. So people think that. See, see, and 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 I, and I would jump in there, Gary, because because one thing I would argue is that is that people are saying that yes, it drives that you know over competitiveness. I would argue that without the ITC, major events still had over competitive people. Right. The term the term whack existed before the ITC. Uh, they, people say that the ITC brings out the worst in people. I think that um, what really happens is the ITC expanded to having so many people play that just by the law of averages, we saw more of these um, unscrupulous types. And honestly, as technology blossomed, like Best Coast Pairings and other things, and transparency became a thing, people were able to um, expose unscrupulous activity more often. Like it, it probably happened just as much in the past, but when ITC was fresh, you know, there people were still reading websites on and forums to find lists and st- and people were trying to hide their lists from people but then nowadays like you you go to one event and everyone knows what that list is and there's no hiding anything anymore mm-hmm. so just in the age of modern technology i think 
that may have played into exposing a lot of this unscrupulous more than the ITC has fueled it. But that has yeah, been that's, that's real... right. Yeah, that's that's a real question. Is there more unscrupulous behavior, or has it been gaslight, or you know, exposed more? And I think it's more the latter. We have more visibility and community policing of it than we had in the past. Because when you say is, is there a downside of the ITC, policing. that is one of the uh, worries of many people that oh, if I run it as an ITC event, I'm going to attract people who are there just to win. But I think that is a little insulting to think that I'm attracted only to ITC events, but am I really someone you don't want to attract to your events? Like, I still feel like I um, am a good person to play, even though I do want to, let's be real, everybody wants to win in the end. You're running a tournament. The yeah. whole idea of a tournament is to declare a winner. <laughs> this is a competitive game, right? <laughs> yeah, as I would say, is everybody's competitive when they roll the dice. Nobody plays a, a dice game and they're not competitive at that moment. So just don't I, I feel pretend. like having that fear yeah. that you're going to attract those people is um, kind of insulting and ignorant because uh, you those people would have already come anyways. Just you're now getting more people to come. And I don't know. I just I just feel like, you, yes, you're going to get more competitive people to come. But that doesn't mean that competitive people are bad people. And I think that's the that's the issue is that people have associated win at all costs and competitiveness with a has a negative connotation to it when the reality is competitive players can still be gentlemanly and still play a good game. I think that's a super fair point, and I have just one quick follow up. Do you believe that there are ITC snobs out there in that they won't go to an event that is not an ITC event. Not an ITC event. I, it's not so much being a snob. It's just um, I, I have a full-time job. I have a I'm pretty sure right. Justin just called you a snob. I, I, I did, snob. Yeah, well, I, I, I'll, I'll say I'll, I'll uh, <laughs> counter that with I don't think I'm a snob. What I am is a guy who has a limited set of time, and right. I'm only going to spend right. that time right. on things that, you know, I, I, I have a goal. I want to do things with my ITC points, and I only have so much time. So I'm going to go to the ones that actually provide that resource for me. It's a great yeah. point because this, you know, wargaming itself, typically these are not, you know, sit down and play a quick, you know, 15 minute card game. These take a lot of your personal time out. And so you really, you have to balance that with your other life. And I, I'm kind of with you, Garrett. It's if I had, if there were two tournaments, one in a month, one weekend was not an ITC and the other was, I would probably lean towards the ITC just because my time is precious and, you know, I can kind of hit two birds with one stone. I can go have fun and game and I can contribute to my uh, ITC score. Get home and brag, as it were. You know, I think there's yeah. one other sort of secret problem that that maybe I, I, I hadn't even thought about it. It's on until you asked the question just now. But it made me realize that as I'm running events, um, because of the limits of how many RTTs will go towards your score that I find that as I run smaller events, I'll get our competitive players will come in and until they get three wins, which is the maximum RTT wins to bop, top out their score, they'll be at all the events. And then after those guys start getting their three wins in, there's a drop off in the attendance at the local tournaments from the more competitive players to the point where I should get uh, messages before the event. Hey, John, uh, how many people are going to be at that event? Because my top score is such and such, and I need there to be X number of people <laughs> oh, before the score is going to be something worthwhile. Hey, I'm not going to come. You can keep my money as uh, as prize support. Thanks for running the event. I'll catch you next time. And that's that's actually a pretty common kind of a message for me to get from mm, the, the top players in our area. 
Um, I've kind of seen it a little bit in our area too, Garrett. Don't you? I mean, they're asking like how many people are coming to events because they're looking for that Yeah, top no, score, I mean, well, you know. we, we run into the issue where, you know, within two hours of driving, um, you can hit up like seven different game stores that'll be running possible monthly events. And so when you have that limited resources, and they're all ITC at this point. And so it's kind of like, you're like, well, you know, the Richmond one is going to have 20 players while the Huzzah one's only going to have 12. So I'm going to go to the Richmond one. Um, I think that's what kind of happens more because, yeah, the 20-player event's going to be worth more than the 12-player event. So, yeah, of course you're going to go to that. So it does kind of um, – it has that effect where if you if you do have comp- competition, um, it causes some people to lose out. Although I will say, at least in the 40K space, it has created healthy competition where there are – um, at least three events a weekend that have 58 or more players every single weekend in 40K um, across the country. And in sometimes, you, like, you, you've gotten to the point where people are like, you know what, screw it, I'm having an event the same weekend as you, even though we're only 50 miles apart because both of us are going to get 30 people. Right. Well, and competition isn't a bad thing. Like, if Hazaz's like, man, I'm only getting 12 guys here, what can I do to up the game here? Well, donuts for everybody in the morning. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> You know, I mean, like you start coming up with different ways to attract new people. I mean, it's, you know, kind of capitalism at its finest, I guess, you know. But um, I think that that ends up leading to um, interesting and fun environments for players, too. Like if you're, if you're going to make it interesting and make it a good event, people will come for an event, too, you know. I th- right. Um, I think, I think the, the, the crux of that is that we've kind of hammered in is that some people outside of the ITC can see this point farming or point chasing mentality to be detrimental to community building because you're like oh yeah you know screw your event i'm not going to go because it's not going to help me in any way when reality we should be trying to build the community to make things bigger but in my in my response to people like that who say i'm not going to go because it's not going to have enough people you're you're not you're just being part of the problem like you need to keep going so there will be more people like I'm sorry, you're part yeah, of the problem. Right. So, mm-hmm. as, as someone mm-hmm. who is point chasing myself all the time, I will actively try to go to any event. As, I will be a person who builds communities because the more larger events there are, the more chances I have for more points. So I actually use the ITC as a way to, I use my point chasing mentality to build up communities because that's how I get larger events to get more points. So it doesn't matter. Like I will actively, yeah. I will never ditch an event because. You don't want that community to die because then you lose a resource of gaining points. So, like, I mean, I'm I'm saying it in this very you know cold way of that all I care about the points because I'm trying to show that even being in that cold way, building the community is your most optimal uh, result, which is right. what you want in a community anyway. So the ITC furthers that. There's well, also and, time and, on the table too. I mean, yeah, exactly. You know, if at the end of the day, if you've already like you were talking about those some people, John, if you've already got your three wins for your RTT, I mean, just come and get more time on the table to refine your edges. Especially you know? with the right. fast-developing meta, you can't afford not to play right. every month because, you know, right. every month it's there's a new meta that you got to keep up to date on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and uh, I um, I also, so I will throw myself into probably the RTT snob category, Garrett, just to let you know. I mean, I was just playing devil's advocate there. No, honestly, and the thing is, is I like the standardization that I can expect at an R, you know, at an RTT, at a grand tournament, whatever the ITC event is. I know that there's going to be a packet. I know that there's going to be, you know, rules, and usually those the packets and rules are based off of 
a big major that's going to be coming up so I can get practice for that major. Right? And there's a there's a bubble of protection with the TOs for sportsmanship and ex- expectation of sportsmanship at those types of yeah. events too. Yeah. yeah. And there's there's some regional stuff like you know out here on the West Coast all the major TOs we actually share chats and kind of uh, bounce we don't have the same packets but we bounce concepts off each other and so there's some uh, similarity of ideas that you see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are 20 minutes over what our target time is, which is okay. I knew we were going to do it. <laughs> time tonight. is meaningless. Yeah, yeah time that, is meaningless. Until that happens time. when you have guys like Garrett and I on. You, <laughs> neither one of us will shut up. But I, I want to thank you guys for coming on. It was uh, super informative for me, and I think our listeners are going to really like it too. Um, obviously, we're all very passionate about this topic, and I, yeah, I want to go play at a tournament now. I know exactly. I want to play a tournament so bad right now, but um, uh, believe uh, me, I I would be I would be right now. I would be knee deep in my planning for the BAO Age of Sigmar tournament in two weeks. There's a probability that you guys would be traveling out to the Bay Area to attend <laughs> KublaCon and this convention. I'd be handling messages and questions. It would be an exciting, busy time for me right now, uh, except for this damn virus, <laughs> right? But it will return to normal, and we yeah. will have events again in the future. And by the good news is you got Just a keep focusing on those peppers. And I've got a Primaris Army, yep. <laughs> So thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, we definitely need to do this again. I think we've got way more topics to talk about. So we just scratched the surface, really. <laughs> nice. So, But thank you guys. You guys were great guests, and, and we want to have you back soon. Awesome. Um, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. No problem. Check out, uh, for our listeners out there, check out the wide world of Wargaming. You can find them on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, Spotify, wherever you can get podcasts. They're out there. Um, they've got shows that do Age of Sigmar, Warhammer 40K specifically, and X-Wing. So if you're into that, uh, we encourage you to go check them out and uh, give them a listen too. So with that, everybody have a good night. See ya.